I'm excited that you're with us this morning. Uh, we, as we get rolling this morning, I want to take a minute and talk about what Easter uh, is like for a lot of people. Normally, uh, normally this is a highlight of our Christian year, and rightly so, and it still is. But if you would meet us at our church worship center, there would be this certain buzz in the air, uh, a certain level of excitement that is even more than normal, because this is the day. This is the biggest day of the year. A lot of people think it's Christmas, Christmas Eve, something like that, but this is really, this is what it's all about. Um, why? Because this Easter is the climax of the story, and this is typically where, you know, if you haven't been to church in a while, uh, you would come back. Uh, you might be here with us for the first time because someone would have invited you and you accepted. Um, maybe you haven't been back in a long, long time. Regardless, we're glad that you're watching this with us this morning. Um, but this is the climax of the story. This is this is kind of like the climax of the movie. Um, it's like you're watching uh, just Return of the King without watching the earlier movies or watching uh, The Rise of Skywalker without watching the, the whole other eight movies. Or if it's like you're watching uh, Avengers Endgame and all you saw was the last, the last little bit and you didn't get to see the awesome rest of the story that led up to that. So the problem here is that there's this really cool story uh, that the rest of the movie tells about Jesus. And I would love to have you come and learn that, the rest of that story with us at some other point, um, maybe in the next few weeks as well. There are these massive concepts that we're talking about at Easter. Um, the concept of resurrection, of grace, of redemption that helps the universe function properly. And how and why are these important for you? Especially as maybe you're taking a different look at the realities of life uh, amidst the pressures and anxieties in the day that we're living in, in the age of the coronavirus. So I'm excited to announce to you, starting next week, we're going to begin an eight-week series called The Epic Story. And it will be an opportunity for us to be kind of built around this narrative arc, the beginning part of the story in the middle, approaching the end that we're talking about today. And it's going to move through the scriptures. And in doing that, it will help you and your family and your and if you're in one of our kinfolk groups, it'll help your kinfolk group have these intentional conversations throughout the week. And I think it'll help you even uh, be able to talk about the Bible in a new way. And it's, it's going to give you a framework for how to be able to, to have that conversation. So, all right, we're going we're gonna to jump into the conclusion of our season of Lent. But I want to talk uh, about why this season of Lent becomes so powerful for us uh, in the way that we lay, thing, lay things down. Uh, these issues that need to die and wither away from us that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. So that on a day like today, where we remember the empty tomb, we, rem we remember how valuable resurrection is for us and how if we, if we let God run his agenda in our life, everything changes for the better. Peter experienced that. Uh, if you remember uh, in the last couple weeks, we mentioned Peter. Peter said he would lay his life down for Jesus, but he disowned Jesus. And it's interesting that Judas is labeled the betrayer, but Peter usually is not. And there's a, there's a whole lot of reason for that. But I want to talk about why this season of Lent becomes so powerful for us. In, because we're trying to lay these things down, these issues that need to die and wither away from our lives. So that on a day like today, uh, where we remember the empty tomb, we remember how valuable resurrection is for us. And how if we'll let God run his agenda for our life. Everything changes for the better. Everything changes for the better. So Peter experienced that. We talked about him in the last couple weeks. But Peter said he would lay his life down for Jesus, but then he 
he disowns Jesus. And there's this, there's a whole lot we could talk about there, but what's really important about Peter saying that he would lay his life down and then disowning Jesus three times before the rooster crowed and basically running away with his tail between his legs it, is that that is not the end of the story. There's this really important uh, passage in, uh, and, and moment in uh, John chapter 21 where later uh, Jesus restores Peter and Peter had, had blown it big time and I mean big time he had blown it and for many of us we know exactly we know exactly what that feeling is like like man I blew it and Peter doesn't know what to do with himself and Peter has he just has this beautiful uh, intimate moment with Jesus standing on the Sea of Galilee on the beach he's he's face to face he's eyeball to eyeball with Jesus with the resurrected Christ Christ and because Peter has this conversation with the resurrected Jesus uh, it changes him forever it, it just literally changes him forever and ever and what's cool about that is we get to see this trajectory of Peter's life what happens as a result of that conversation with the resurrected Jesus he then becomes the preacher uh, on the day that the Holy Spirit pours itself out upon the church he is one of the founders of the faith that you and I are celebrating today and one of the coolest things that happens uh, after that conversation with Jesus on the beach Jesus restores Peter and then 30 years later Peter writes a letter he writes a letter to some people just like you and me and he talks to them about the resurrection he talks to them about what it meant for him in that then in that time and I think if we take a look at that this morning it'll help us uh, with our understanding of how resurrection should affect you and me that letter that Peter wrote is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 12, and it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours, was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So 30 years later, Peter is still talking about this moment. And Peter has had some pretty big moments. Pentecost, uh, arguing with the Jerusalem council, trying to get them to change their mind. He's had prophetic dreams. And now he's writing to a group of believers who did not get to see the resurrected Jesus like he, he did. He's writing to a group of believers whose shoes we can step into quite easily. They didn't get to see Jesus in the flesh like, like he did on the beach that day. When he writes to them, 
the thing that he calls them back to about a living hope is this resurrected Jesus. He says, the resurrection changes everything for us. It changes everything for all of us. And what I found interesting about that is this, you know, I grew up in church my whole life. I went to a lot of Easter sermons and a lot of them were focused on this. Someday we all get to go to heaven. Someday we all get to go to heaven, which is great. And some of us have lost close friends and family this year and, and in recent years. And we're, and we're living through this pandemic of coronavirus, wondering who else we're going to hear about, what else is going to happen. And that message of a living hope and resurrection is really powerful for us, and we don't need to miss that. But for Peter, the message of the resurrection and the living hope that comes for it, comes with it, it is just so much deeper and so much wider than just that fact. Uh, for Peter, this is a really about that living hope. For Peter, the empty tomb changes everything about today not just tomorrow, it changes everything about today and how they live and how they act and what they do and how they conquer and why they get up in the morning and why they persevere. And not just for Peter, but for all those people who came after him, dare I suggest you and me. Actually, we found ways throughout the centuries to try and make sense of the resurrection. And I just wanna mention three of these perspectives briefly. I think these perspectives are all internal feelings that Peter had to deal with because of the way he disowned Jesus, even after being reinstated and even after uh, preaching at Pentecost. Um, I think the reason he's talking about this living hope 30 years later to this group of Christians and non-Christians who are trying to wrap their minds around who this person of Jesus was and what really happened in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They're struggling to make sense of it all, and Peter has Peter's done his homework. He's lived, he's lived his life with these internal emotions from knowing Jesus and, and feeling like he disowned him and trying to make sense of the resurrection. So the first, the very first thing is this sense of debt that I think Peter had, and I think we have that too. I think we have been participants in, in things in, that bring chaos into the world, things that pull the world apart, things that are destructive. And I think the word for that in scripture uh, is sin. And I think um, because of that, we have this sense that maybe there's this bank account somewhere or a heavenly bank account somewhere um, where I'm getting further and further into the red, where you're going uh, deeper and deeper into debt. And what Peter realized, and the reason he's still talking about resurrection is, and we can know this now, the reason he's still doing that is the empty tomb. The empty tomb tells us that if you feel like there is a bank balance somewhere, Jesus has paid it all, right? It's like when you go to dinner with friends and you think you're gonna pay the bill, but your friends have sneakily passed their credit card off to the waitress and she comes back and she goes, you're all good. And you're like, wait, what? And then you hem and haw with them and you say, you shouldn't have done that and I'll get you next time and all those things. But really all you can do is be gracious and thankful. And that's all we can do with Jesus. There's, there's no hemming and hawing. There's just, I'm thankful for what you've done. The empty tomb says that the debt has been paid. The bill has been paid. And for some of us, maybe in a different way, maybe we feel like we're still held captive to that sin, especially once we become aware of that, how we've participated in uh, 
in, uh, in chaos and, and uh, erasing shalom, God's shalom from the world. Uh, like no matter where you go or what you do, your sin is following you around and haunting you. Uh, your past mistakes won't leave you alone. Maybe some of you don't even want to go back to your hometown or where you went to college because if you go there, people are going to say, oh, there's so-and-so who did that and was like that back then. Even though you're changed, you're going to feel like you can't escape it. And I think Peter had feelings like that. And I feel like he realized in his letter when he talks about this living hope, it's super applicable to us right now. It's simply this, the resurrection, the empty tomb says, you are not the sum total of your mistakes. Thank goodness. You are not defined by your sin. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. You are really a new creation in, in and through Jesus. Lastly, I think Peter, I think he felt really alone. And I think that's really, uh, first of all, that's just super applicable to us right now as we're isolating and have this social distance, distancing going on because of coronavirus. But I think that Peter felt really alone, even after, um, just think about this, the, the fact that he realizes he did disown Jesus, even though Jesus has reinstated him. And I'm sure the disciples knew about that, but he's probably thinking, you don't know what it's like. You didn't do it. You don't know what it's like to have these feelings inside and have to deal with that. And I think that in the same way, we find we feel the same exact way as Peter did. We feel like circumstances happen to us or we do things that are that are sinful, that bring chaos into the world. And and we feel like no one understands how we're trying to deal with that, that no one uh, is able to step into our shoes and understand our circumstances exactly the same way we do. And, and eventually some of us even say, you know, God, you don't know. You don't know what it's like. But when you stop and think about what Peter's talking about in this living hope that we have because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, you'll probably come to the same conclusion that he did. And that is this, the empty tomb tells, that, that tells us that there is nowhere, there is nowhere that God uh, has not gone to walk with us in our pain. There is nowhere that he has not gone to walk through us in our suffering. He is with us. He is for us. He has experienced what you have experienced. There is nowhere he has not gone and that he still won't go. So to wrap this up, I want to end with a quote that I really like from Mike Mahard. It says this, the cross was not God's invention. It was ours. In all our need for an eye for an eye, I have to wonder sometimes if God listened to us cry for blood and he offered his own. If Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not to sate God's wrath, but to show God's response to ours. Really, the empty tomb, it changes not just what's inside of me, but what goes on outside of me as well. It changes everything.